Derek, so much for leading us this morning in our celebration. I got a question for everybody this morning. And you can tell it to your neighbor. You can write it down on a sheet of paper. You can think about it for the rest of the day and send me an email this week. But I want to know, what kind of church do you want to be? What kind of church do you want to be? What do you want to be known for? What do you want others to, to say about you? How do you think you should be spending your talent and your energy and the money? See, these are questions that speak to our identity and our, our very calling, and it's what we have been called to accomplish, and it's who we have been called to be, and it's a question that we need to be asking, especially in light of our study on grace. So we began back at, what, the first week in January, now over a month ago, and we focused in on a passage from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 that says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it no one misses the grace of God. And last week we said that a theology of grace must saturate our thinking. That God's goal is a goal of transformation and redemption. That he wants to redeem and transform all of the created fallen and redeem a people to himself. And the history of redemption is one of God's relentless pursuit. It's his utmost desire to achieve this goal. And if that's the father's goal, then should not the goal of his children mirror his? Introducing all to the salvation of grace. You see, the root meaning in Hebrew of salvation is to be broad, to become spacious, to en enlarge. It carries the idea of deliverance from a space that is cramped and compact and confined. And in Christ, what God has been doing is throwing open the doors and inviting us into this expansive new existence. And it's highlighted by justice for the marginalized, mercy for the outcast, and as we just sang, humble fellowship. That's who God has called us to be. And grace is the key that unlocks the door to this broad and spacious existence. And Jesus is the mediator of that grace. So is it any wonder then that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach? Now, this didn't go over really well with those who were religiously elite. The fact that all of the sinners were coming, the fact that all of the others were taking up Jesus' time, they couldn't believe that he would welcome them in, that he would spend time in conversation, that he would even sit down and eat a meal with them. See, the religious knew who was in and they knew who was out who was for God and who was against God, who was under grace and, and they knew who was under judgment. And there was a God of we and a God of they and the elite knew the difference. And understand, those who were the tax collectors, those who were 
the notorious sinners of Jesus' time, they understood where they stood in the eyes of the Pharisees and all the teachers of the law. They understood that they were on the outside, that they were outsiders and did not belong in the elite club of the righteous. But what kind of church do we want to be? I wonder if we are aware that there exists a growing perception that Christianity and all its factious denominations is merely an elite club for the righteous. I read this week about an alcoholic who, when comparing church to Alcoholics Anonymous, an organization that for him had become a substitute church, he he said, when I show up late to church, he said, people turn and look at me. Some scowl and some smile, a self-satisfied smile. See, that person, I'm, I'm more responsible than they are. In AA, he said, if I show up late, then the whole meeting comes to a halt. And everyone jumps up to greet me. Because they realize that my desperate need for them won out over my desperate need for alcohol. What kind of church do you want to be? The crowds gathered around Jesus. And so he took the opportunity to tell them a few stories about things that had been lost and then found. He talked about joy and celebration. In the final story, he says, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger son comes to the father and says, Give me what's owed in my inheritance. So the father divides his inheritance between his two sons equally. And the younger brother leaves and goes off into a far country, Jesus says, and begins to spend his inheritance in a wild and selfish way. The older brother stayed home. And he continued working with his father. He continued serving right there by his father's side. Eventually, the younger brother ran out of money. He had to hire himself out to a local farmer. He was taking care of animals, eating whatever might be left over from their food. In a moment of just sheer lostness, Jesus said that he came to himself. And he realized that things back home with his father were a lot better than he thought. He decided that he would return. And that he would say, Dad, you know what? I am no better than to be one of your hired workers. Just let me come back and be home. And so he gets up and begins his journey. But while he was still a long way off, the father sees him, runs to him. And in an act of gracious love, weeps on him, holds him calls for jewelry to be put on him, a, a new robe to be given to him, and for a great celebration to be thrown on his behalf. The older brother who had been home the whole time decided not to go into the celebration. He was offended. He was taken aback that his father would, would show such grace. So Jesus says the father goes out to that elder brother and says, listen, we have to rejoice and celebrate. 
because what was lost is now found. In church circles, we refer to this story as the prodigal son. And over time, the word prodigal has become to be synonymous with with wayward and lost. It might surprise you to learn that the word prodigal actually means to to spend resources freely and, and recklessly. It's wasteful extravagance. You see, the prodigal is called the prodigal because he squandered his wealth in wild living and spent everything that he had been given. And to be sure, Jesus was surrounded by many prodigal brothers and sisters who because of their choices, because of the choices of others, had spent and and been spent and there was little that remained. These men and women, these younger brothers and sisters could relate to the younger brother in the story that Jesus told. They observed neither the moral laws of the Bible nor the rules of the Jewish community. They engaged in wild living and and like the younger brother, they, they left home by leaving the traditional morality of their families and the guidelines of respectable society. The progressive tense of the Greek verb that's translated that says that these sinners and tax collectors were gathering or coming to Jesus, well, it conveys this idea that there was an attraction that these younger brothers, these younger sisters had to Jesus, and that it was an ongoing pattern in his ministry. And let me tell you, this drove the religious elite nuts. They were puzzled by the phenomenon. They were angered that the immoral would continue to be welcomed by Jesus. And Luke would sum up their thoughts and say, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And maybe you've been told how to sit down and eat with someone in the ancient Near East was a token of acceptance. It's as if they're saying, how dare Jesus reach out to these people? They never come to our services. I wonder what draws them to Jesus' teaching. He can't be telling them the truth. He must just be telling them what they want to hear. You see, this second group of listeners, the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they represented in Jesus' story, or they were represented by that elder brother. They held to the traditional morality of their upbringing. They They studied and obeyed the Scripture. They worshiped faithfully. They prayed consistently, but they had no understanding of grace. Speaking of grace and the mind-bending that's been going on recently, maybe you were looking at the front of your glory, praise, and honor, and you thought, where are the pictures, right? You know, you were looking, you you wanted to get another face. You wanted to see another set of, of tables, I wanted to bend your mind this week, but I wanted to do it in a, um, I wanted to do it in a little bit different, different way. Nikki, would you mind coming and helping me up here for a moment? Nikki Fox is one of our ministers here. She works with our, our youth and does an outstanding job. And I, I wanted her to uh, come and be here, not so I could embarrass her, but so I could impress her. It's good when the preacher impresses uh, the rest of the staff. Now, the only thing I need for you to do I've got up here two, two stacks of cards. And I brought you up here because I know people will trust you. Because there are people sitting under the balcony right now that are like, I told you this was the day we need to set up front. I know, right? You wanted to be here to be able to see, to see what's going to be taking place. But there are two 
two separate stacks of cards here. And all I want you to do, you get, to ch- you get a choice. You can choose one of the two decks and just cut one of those two decks and just keep those cards with you. Whichever deck you want. You sure you want that one? Yeah. All right, good. Fantastic. Keep, these? keep those. Just keep those with you. Now, those cards represent the choices in Nikki's life. Like the prodigal son. Like the elder brother. We all make choices. Some of us choose to leave. Others of us choose to stay. But we all make choices that determine our destiny, that determine where it is that we end up, the things that we do, the people that we become. Now, here, Nikki, what I want you to do, I'm just going to start going through some cards, and you tell me to stop. And the card that I stop on is going to be your card. This is going to be the card that represents you, all right? So you just tell me whenever you want me to stop. Right there? You want this one or this one? one. This one right here. All right. What card do you have? Four of clubs, all right, good. Everybody see this, right? Four of clubs, right? This is Nikki's card, the four of clubs. I would have asked you to carry it, but I was afraid people might think it was Vanna White. You know, so this is the four, four of clubs right here, and this is, this is your card, right? Now, now what I want to do, I just want to, to lose your card because oftentimes the choices that we make cause us to not only to feel lost, but to, uh, to be lost and to make it even, even more s- significant. I, I think we'll just shuffle the cards a little bit, okay, to make sure we don't know where your card is. You see, sometimes we make wise choices. Other times we make poor choices. We make choices that bring us to God. We make choices that lead us away from God. Sometimes the choices that we make end up truly defining the future of our life. If only we made small choices that never impacted us, but it's not the case. But eventually, with all the choices, we end up somewhere mixed up in the middle of everything else that goes on in life and with everyone else's life. Now, what was your card? The four of clubs, right? Now, do you know where your card is right now? I don't either. That's great. All right, we're just going to set those there. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go on back and have a seat, but I want you to keep your choices with you. I want you to go sit down with your choices, just as everybody else in the room is doing. You don't have cards like she does to to be able to look through and to see the choices that have brought you here today. But don't deny it. Choices have led you to this moment. You are sitting right now with your choices for the better or for the worst. Now, back to our story for a moment. Throughout the centuries, whenever this text is taught, almost exclusively the focus is on how that the father welcomes the younger brother back and lavishes love on him and receives this penitent younger son. And we're told to imagine Jesus' original listeners as as they are hearing this, that they are perhaps filled with, with tears, that, that somehow they are, they are moved as they hear about this great love that the Father has. And yet, they were not the targets of the story, the wayward sinners, that is. The younger brothers that might be standing around listening 
were not the ones that Jesus was truly trying to get the attention of. You see, Jesus' message on lost and found joy and celebration is aimed at the religious people who do everything that the Bible asks. Jesus is pleading not so much with the immoral outsiders as with the moral insiders. And he wants to show them their blindness and their narrowness. He wants them to focus in on their own self-righteousness and how these things are destroying both their own soul and the relationships of the people that are around them. Jesus is talking about grace to people who don't think they need grace. He's talking to the church folks. He's talking to the religious, to the righteous, who says that grace is something for the outsider. And he's explaining to graceless people why in the world grace-hungry people flock to him. You see, the original listeners were, were not melted into tears by the story, but rather they were thunderstruck. They were taken aback. They were offended and infuriated. See, Jesus' purpose is not to warm our hearts, but to shatter the categories that we have. There is no us and, and them. There, there does not exist an our God and a, a their God. There is one God, and all have fallen short of that God. And all are in need of the grace of that God. Some understand it and receive it, and some never do. You see, the crucial point here is that, in general, religiously observant people were offended by Jesus. And those who were estranged from religion or moral observances, they were attracted to Jesus. You can't get around this point. You read through the Gospels, and we see it throughout the New Testament. In every case where Jesus meets a religious person and a sexual outcast, as in Luke chapter 7, or when it's a religious person and a, a racial outcast in John 3 and 4, or when it's a religious person and a political outcast, as in Luke chapter 19. The outcast is always the one who connects with Jesus. And it's the elder brother type that does not. Jesus would even say to respectable religious leaders that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will enter the kingdom before you. Are we listening, church? See, I believe Scripture teaches that the church above all should be a place to receive grace. It's where forgiven sinners are brought together with the aim of equipping one another to dispense grace to others. And I wonder, what would it take to be known as a church where grace is always served? To be known as a place where individuals are being delivered from compressed and confined and, and cramped lives. How do we become that church? How do we become the church that is known for serving grace? I think the answer is by rediscovering what, what Timothy Keller has referred to as being the prodigal father. The prodigal father. You see, I told you earlier that prodigal means to, to spend until you have nothing left. But the word also means to have or give something 
on a lavish scale. You see, Jesus' story describes a father who is continually giving. He gives his money and his estate. He gives his jewelry and his clothing. He gives his attention and his pleadings. He gives a party and celebration. And he gives his love and grace. And when Jesus is surrounded by both younger and older brothers, he tells them about a prodigal father who gives on a lavish scale. And some call it wasteful. They called it that then, and they call it that now. Others call it graceful. You see, Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing. However, generally speaking, let's just be honest. Our churches today do not attract the same type of people who came to Jesus. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted to our churches, even our most contemporary ones. We tend to draw the more conservative, buttoned-down, moralistic people, but the licentious and the liberated, the broken and the marginalized avoid church. You see it all around our society. And to me, this can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practices of our members do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. Do you understand? People who were lost ran to Jesus. What kind of church do you want to be? You see, if our churches are not appealing to the younger brothers and sisters, then we must be more full of elder brothers and sisters than we like to think. To be a church where grace is eagerly dispensed, then we must be a church where grace is eagerly received. You see, each one of us whether you cut your teeth on church pews or whether you got up with a hangover to come here this morning, each one of us must lean in to the grace of the Father. The story reveals the destructive self-centeredness of the younger brother, but it also condemns the elder brother's moralistic life in the strongest terms. Jesus is saying that both the irreligious and the religious are lost. And that both paths lead to dead ends. But he also says that both groups have a prodigal father. A father who lavishes his grace and love. Who spends it in what others would say is a reckless way on individuals who others would say seem don't deserve it and don't appreciate it. And yet... That's the father that we have. Nikki, do me a favor. Count your choices for me, if you don't mind. You've got those cards there with you. You've been sitting there with your choices. Just, just count them up and see how many choices, at least in our little scenario this morning, define your life. Eleven. Eleven choices that have defined her. 
Oh, if only 11 choices were the definition of our lives, right? But do you understand that in the midst of all your choices, whether they are 11 or whether they are 11,000, that you have had a prodigal father who has seen you make every one? And he knows exactly where you are today, whether you're the younger brother or the elder. He has seen every one. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven choices. And what was your card? The four of what? Four of clubs. See, our Father knows exactly where we are. And He lavishes us in prodigal grace. That's why what we do together is a celebration. That's why when we come together, it is a time of joy and it is a time of excitement. It, it is a time that brings some to tears. It is a time that, that asks others to stand. Other people want to fall down. It, it's a time of great emotion because those who are lost have been found and those who are seeking to be restored to the Father are being brought home. You see, we've not been called to tell others how to be more religious. We've been called to show others the impact of grace. What kind of church do you want to be? N.T. Wright once wrote, what you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are, are not simply ways of, of making your present life less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for the kingdom of God. And I would add that they are also central to our mission as a church. And that being sharing with the world the grace of our prodigal father. The father who knows exactly where you are. Church, what kind of church do you want to be? That was the question that we started out asking and we brought it up as we've gone through this short time together. But so I can make it a little bit more personal, let me, let me change it as we close out and ask it this way. What kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be lost or found? Do you want to be a person who is covered by grace? Do you want to be a person whose life resembles more the Father? Do, do you want to be an, an individual that is, that is known for the way in which you extend mercy and, and justice to those who are around you? 
If you desire to, if you desire to be in humble fellowship with, with the God who has come to, to seek for you, to search for you. See, your choice has brought you here today. And whether you realize it or not, God has seen you every single step along the journey. And he has brought you here today so that you might hear the words, come home. Come home. And be lavished by a good, prodigal father. Whether you consider yourself to be an outsider or an insider, would you come today for prayer? Would you come so that we might be able to talk more about the grace of God? Would you come and confess your faith in Jesus? Would you come and pour yourself out before God, surrendering yourself to Him? Can we celebrate as you're baptized this morning? Can we rejoice as you come and say, I've been here for years and I haven't celebrated any? Whatever your need, why don't you come as together we stand and sing?